If you've been following the Humboldt County elections, you may recognize the face of our guest today. He is currently running for the clerk, recorder, and registrar position. And quite honestly, it was a blast sitting down and talking with him. I really enjoyed it. We got a little philosophical there at the end, which was a blast for me. And yeah, it was just a lot of fun. I really enjoyed talking with him. I think you guys will like it. Don't forget to go out and vote. And with that, please give it up for Juan Pablo Cervantes. Branding is almost the determining factor nowadays oh, to getting any kind of traction in the public. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's it's giving people the ability to know who you are and who they're voting for. And all of that plays into it. And that transparency aspect of this is me. This is my platform. This is what we're running for. I mean, that's that's how you win a race now. Yeah. I mean, I think that's how you run an office too, right? Like that access to your public officials. That's key. That's what you want in a public official. You want to know that you are able to see what they're up to, and if you have any concerns, that you can access them and, and talk to them about it. In theory, right? That's what everybody wants. That's, That's the ideal yeah. politician is the one that you can actually reach out and touch, and you know, yeah, okay, they're right there for you. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It seems kind of like we're leading away from that, though, doesn't it, in some regard? I don't know if it's just how high up you extrapolate. Obviously, we can't touch the president. But your local officials, sometimes you feel like there's that barrier between you and them, even at a county level. Oh, I hope that's not the case. Um, so no, I, That's what I'm trying to break down. That's basically it. Yeah, no, I think um, I think a lot of the troubles we're seeing in, in public service right now are due to uh, a past of of administrations wanting to to be risk adverse. And and you don't really want to be out there because that gives public the ability to see if you made a mistake. I think uh, I think the future is the other way around and bringing that transparency in and having that relationship with people that uh, they don't see you as some, you know, person behind the curtain, you know, doing nefarious things. They they get to be a part of it all. Accountability is the key. Yeah. And people don't really like that, especially when you get into elected officials, because when you make a mistake, the inclination is we have to kind of sweep that away. Because if you uh, acknowledge it and you recognize it, then does that discredit you for future future decisions that you make? Does that call into question where you stand? That seems to be the line of thinking, right? I think you're making even like a broader philosophical argument right now in, in what it's like to be a person today. Like, I think you absolutely Yeah, nobody can. likes to make mistakes. Yeah, well, I mean, for fear of, of the repercussions, right? But I think we have to be willing to. That's how you grow. Um, in this line of work, the importance is accuracy. If we can catch any mistake possible as early as possible through transparency, uh, audits, whatnot, that's key. You know, the the reputation is gained by providing accuracy. Um, I think it's the hiding that's the mistake. Do you think that that hiding happens a lot? I don't. Or it's just the fear from the public that it's out there. Um, I think it's, I think it's the latter. I think, um, I think we're really careful about keeping processes really tight. We do a lot of auditing within the organization, uh, in, in the county, in the elections office, in other elections offices, there's similar protocols. Um, but I think there's always just that worry, you know, bringing a, bringing a camera in, 
uh, it it makes people a little more worried. Once when something's recorded, it's there forever, and so there's that concern. Um, one of the things Humboldt County does that no other county does in elections is we have a an independent organization do a full audit of every every election that we run. So they get to scan their own ballots, or they get to scan the ballots. There's a chain of custody. It's a whole process. Um, other counties are afraid that a mistake will be found. We've we we're able to sleep at night once they get through their process because we know that no mistakes were made. Why do you think we're the only county in the state that does that? That's correct. That seems kind of crazy. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Uh, it's that risk that mistake factor. I, I think it's the it's the risk aversion. I think once you once you start bringing other people in, you're worried that you're worried that they might not be charitable to any process mistake, and that you know you enter into that that adversarial relationship with with checking your work rather than seeing it as a cumulative process. It's an interesting time for elections and to be involved in that. Yeah. Because everything is called into question now. Absolutely. For better or for worse, now everybody thinks, is there something nefarious going on? Should we be paying more attention to this? What Can we trust the process? Whether it's valid or not, there's that air around it now of how, how legit are our elections. And that's... Yeah, that's no. gonna be frustrating for you, where you've been working in this and you've worked with elections in the past, to hear that, and then you sit here and think, guys, we have, we're pretty, we're pretty solid here. So there's there's two types of that question that we get asked. There's the type where somebody wants to know the answer to it. They want to they want to find out and and know in order to to either address the issue or figure out why it's not an issue. There's that like good faith question. We love that question. That question creates poll workers. You know, we, we engage with them. They come in. We show them the process, show them a tour, tell them what we do, ask them to be a part of that process so that they can, you know, they can make the sausage with us. And, uh, and we, get, we get lifelong poll workers that way. The other version of that question is the one in bad faith. It's that, uh, that South Park Cartman, I'm just asking questions approach where uh, the question's a statement. It's not really, it's a rhetorical the rhetorical thing that's meant to just cast out. And that's that's the part that's tough. That's the part that uh, disenfranchises voters by making them believe that their vote doesn't matter. Do you think that that's where a lot of that stems from, is just trying to cause that divide and instill in people that your vote really doesn't matter? Oh, that's that's a few levels higher than, than I think I can answer. Uh, I try not to get in people's heads that way. I know that that ends up being the result. Um, I think one of the one of the things that I hear constantly campaigning is that I don't vote because my vote doesn't matter. And and you have a conversation a little bit about that with them and it's it's a lot of that stuff they've heard. Is that the wall that you come into most frequently? Is yeah, I'm not really gonna vote. It doesn't matter. I'm not gonna take the time. What's the point? I don't know if it's the wall I run into most frequently. It's the one that hurts the most though. You know, if somebody doesn't support my campaign because they, they support my opponent, I'm fine with that. As long as they're voting, I'm happy. Uh, be a little happier if they were voting for me, but at least at least the process is working, and and you know, and and that's all working out. It's the I don't care is that that really hurt. How do you begin to bridge that gap? How do you reach those people that are maybe older and set in their ways of you know I'm not voting anymore because there's no point. I don't see the value in it. How do you bring those people to the table? Because it seems like the younger generation is more inclined to vote. And then is it just an age thing where you kind of time out 
Oh, the data shows the opposite. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. The older you, after after thirty, once you hit your forties, you're you're a voting machine. But prior to that, there's a gap between like nineteen and thirty where life is hectic and and you care about other things or you know whatever the reason is. That's the gap of that's the voting gap. Really, that's where you see less voter turnout. You might see more posting on Instagram about it, but but if you look at the demographics, it's it's in the other direction. I would not have guessed that. Yeah. You do see a lot of that on social media. Everybody posts their I voted sticker. Yeah. Huh. Is that Well, not everybody. You not, just start not everybody. You just get to experience uh Instagram gives you an algorithm of, of things that make you feel good and and so it's a disproportionate view on reality a little, I imagine. So do you think that you can reach that age group? I think so. Um I think um I think there's some barriers at play. Um when it comes to life, I think some of how you address that is by making it easier to vote. Uh, vote by mail has been an incredible thing on that front. I That's know. a touchy subject nowadays. It can be. Um, it hasn't been with a lot of the people I've talked to. Vote by mail has been around since the Civil War. It, it, it's not a new thing. Um, it's not changed drastically in the last, you know, five or six years, eight years. Um, and so I think some of the touchiness comes from, uh, from that Cartman-style approach to questioning things. Just the question for question's sake, yeah. not to provide any value or to provide any sort of clarity to the subject. That's it. Yeah. Or to identify a weakness. You know, I love identifying weaknesses. If there's somewhere where we can make the process stronger, I'm all about that. But, uh, but you have to identify one in order to, to really have that conversation go in a meaningful way. If the data and uh, history shows that there's not a problem, like reducing that for the sake of an unknown security feature... I just don't see that. So I have to ask, why why are you running? Do you feel like you can bring something to the table? I'm always interested in that when somebody decides to run. Like, why? What what was that switch that flipped for you? I got asked. Um, I said no a couple of times, but um, but I decided to do so because I think uh, I think I can I can do a job that's very difficult to do better than any anybody else that uh was thinking about running uh i say that i couch that because i really uh, for a while there i was hoping my boss would change their mind and not retire <laughs> um but uh elections are difficult things um they're really complicated we get about 100 laws i get passed each year that change how elections happen um and then we have all these processes in a very complex changing ground that you really need experience in that side of things in order to do this job well. It is interesting in the sense that you come from one side and your opponent comes from the other side. Yeah. And that merging of the two offices into one. There's, there's a historical component to that. Uh, and it makes some sense. You know, you want your voter rolls to be accurate, right? And who better than the person that, that has custody of birth certificates, death certificates and all that jazz. Um, and so there's that part of it. Um, I think, underlying a lot of these offices is understanding how to run like a good public administration. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's similar to getting an MBA, uh, running a business, whether you're, you're producing, you know, widgets or, you know, screws, like there's an underlying basic skill set necessary in order to do that. Well, you need to understand payroll, uh, HR procurement issues, stuff like that. Um, I think I have the background in order to do both. Um, I think I can, 
I, I know how to how to go about addressing things like the digital divide. I know how to incorporate technology thoughtfully when it's appropriate. I understand processes and seeing seeing public administration from the perspective of processes. Um, and I think I could bring those to bear in in a way that'll make things go smoother going forward. I did see that your opponent had put out that newsletter and then you had corrected some of the information that she put out. And one of the arguments that I thought was interesting that was made through that was the idea that there's a lot of focus on the registrar aspect of the position. And it didn't seem like, at least from some perspective, that there was enough focus on the recorder position and the importance of that role. Do you have a take on that? Um, I mean... It's hard because the two roles are merged. So you need someone that can be adept at both. You don't want someone that's just balanced on the registrar aspect or just balanced on the recorder aspect. You need someone that can branch both of those. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think, I think the registrar of voters gets a lot of attention because you can't undo elections. Once an election happens, once results are certified, you can't take that back. And so there seems to be a lot more on the line on that front in that, that we're not able to make mistakes. Um, if a document gets recorded incorrectly, there's maybe a little more leeway there than if, you know, a vote, I can't even imagine, than if, than if very bad things that give me anxiety nightmares happen uh, in elections. Um, and so I think the, the emphasis is there for that reason. I think, uh, I think it's important. I think both, both offices are clearly vital. They're important. I don't think either of them should go away. Uh, one of the questions that I'm often asked is if I think that the two should be separated, um, and I don't. I don't think. I don't think I see. I see it working out that way um, across the state. Um, this has been done in some areas, and uh, the experiment's not gone so well, and they're merging back together. Um, I think. Uh, I think there's there's a there's a cost to having two elected officials in that capacity. Uh, one of the ways that uh, one of the concerns I had when that question came up is uh, is the thought of the registrar voter becoming an appointed position, and so a lot of uh, a lot of why uh, I responded, my campaign responded as strongly as we did, is because that's just not a viable option. Yeah, can you explain that situation just for people that don't understand or didn't receive the newsletter? And can you just move your mic just a tad bit for it? You can pull it out so you don't have to lean over awkwardly for you yeah um so my opponent um put out a newsletter stating that the clerk recorder was the elected position and the registrar was an appointed position um and that it just so happens that 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 was that was just the way of things that it was a tradition for the clerk recorder to to function as the registrar um that's dangerous. That that puts a lot of power in the board of supervisors' hands, um, which isn't inherently bad. But there's a there's a conflict there, right? Uh, the board of supervisors are up for election every uh, every four years, and and I don't know if you want the person running elections to answer to them. I think that ultimately the the registrar of voters needs to answer to to the voters to to the public, um, and so any any insinuation. That moves it in that direction. That gives cause for that to to become a reality. Um, that's dangerous. And her argument against that was that it, she was speaking in a historical context. 
that in some places you still have that where they can be appointed by a board of soups. Correct? Is that that was my interpretation from? I mean, the statement was what it was in terms of what she uh, said. Yeah, she said that that this is the current situation. This is what it is. Um, it, it's hard for me to see the historical angle. Uh, what's going on now is what's going on now. Um, if there's a historical argument to be made, it seems to be an argument to to change what's going on now, which is that the registrar of voters is elected. Do you think that was purposeful, or she? just wasn't aware of it i can't i can't uh, speculate yeah um it is interesting that the two positions are joined that was in 96 right that they made that yeah and you don't think that it you think it should stay as one position is that just an ease thing where they are there is some overlap between the two or i think that's the main thing um financially it makes sense too i don't know if you really want uh more administrative bloat by having dual sets of administration overseeing the two offices but when, it is two separate offices right is it physically yeah is it two separate staff yeah that's okay correct. yeah there's some overlap uh ben hirschberger who was the uh the third candidate in the primary he's the fiscal officer for both offices and so there's some some hierarchical uh overlap that goes there but not to the extent that it would make sense to hire out an additional person for each role yeah, I can't I can't see that. Yeah, it's hard for me to imagine um having two elected officials running running those operations. I don't I don't know if uh yeah, it's hard for me to imagine. Um the uh manager position on that office there's two managers. I'm the election manager. That side has a manager too has been vacant um I think since the beginning of the year. Um is that due to staffing? They retired. We saw a lot of retirement. Um, and I could be wrong in the beginning of the year, but it's been vacant for a while now. And um, and things are moving smoothly as they go. Um, I, think, um, I think there should be some restructuring. Um, I think uh, one of the things I'd like to explore is getting a deputy. Um, every other department head has a deputy. Um, that'll make it easier to manage both offices and have, have a good vision for what's going on on the ground. Is there not currently a deputy clerk? There's not. No. So, and that's, you know, there's, there's different titles are, are, are structured to how your, how your organization set up. So there's, there's technically deputy clerk recorders and deputy registrars. I'm, I'm a deputy registrar in that I, I can perform the actions of an elections official. Um, but um, in other jurisdictions, there's, there's a title that is the, the deputy clerk recorder and registrar of voters that functions like a, a second in command. And so it's the way it's structured here, it's more informal. It's, I mean, it, you, you end up with two managers um, and the, the offices are structured in such a way that they get split up more. Whereas in, in other jurisdictions that that splitting isn't as, as um, set in the organization. And so hiring it, would you hire out a deputy for both sides, a deputy clerk and recorder no just no. the one it'd be it'd be the one that oversees both yeah and that would help you with your workload exactly presumably. yeah well with the workload and uh and just maintaining a presence in both offices when you have one person bouncing between offices um it's just harder to oversee operations would it make sense then to merge the two offices maybe not lose the staff but at least consolidate it to one building i mean that'd be great I, I don't know how much that would cost that, that cost a pretty penny uh 
the the needs in terms of both offices are pretty unique. Um, we need a big warehouse in elections. We need a lot of controls in terms of gates and security. Um, it'd be a great building. Uh, other other counties have have created such a such a space for for both offices and kept them together. I think that'd be great. But the investment hard. into it would be huge up yeah. there. Yeah. Which you think that would be something they would approach where they have consolidated the two positions. I think that would be the next transitional step, step of, yeah. okay, let's maybe put them in the same building, yeah, maybe different sure. floors. I mean, there's there's a lot of room to talk about having like a one-stop shop for county services, right? Um, there isn't one. If you want to go to the planning department, you're going to a different place than if you're going to the elections office or um, DHHS. There's, there's just, we're, we're spread out across across Eureka and the county. And so how long have you been an election manager? So I got a, I got a, not a point, I got hired as the election manager, I think around April. Yeah. April. Okay. April of this year. Yeah. Okay. Recently. So still fairly new in that position. Yeah. When I, uh, when I ran in the primary, I was still a specialist. And so what does that job entail? Oh, um, the specialist or the, uh, the manager? The manager. So the manager is just that. I, I oversee uh, all of the operations that go on in elections. So everything from, from payroll, timekeeping, through to you know understanding and interpreting election code. Uh, I oversee different projects and making sure that the timelines are met. Um, it's, yeah, it's just running the office on the day-to-day. And so is there a requirement to maintain some neutrality in terms of politics with that position oh absolutely yeah absolutely uh the appearance of impropriety is often worse than the impropriety itself um we 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 mitigate that as best we can so um so for example i'm on the ballot this time i was on the ballot in the primary too so that limits the amount of work that i could do on certain components of it so i shift my time a little uh no point do i do i work on the ballot or with ballots um that's something that that I I just keep my hands clean of in order to to remove that that appearance of impropriety. Better safe than sorry. That's it. Yeah. And I noticed you I read an article that you registered as no political party affiliation. I was previously registered as no political party affiliation. I'm currently a Democrat. Okay. And is that what was the switch back to the Democratic Party? There's um. There's been a lot going on in 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 the national news that uh, that really showed me that uh, that I share a lot of the same values when it comes to how this office gets run with the Democratic uh, Party. I think um, I think the January sixth committee has been a pretty big big part of that. Um, there's a there seems to be an attack on objectivity, like the the objective nature of facts and truth, and uh, and it seems to be coming. From a, from a particular place, I, I don't know if that's a that's a party distinction, um, but I think that there are there are components of it that have been woven in certain political platforms. You could almost say that we're having an argument over what is factual. Yeah, and that's that's hard. That's a who that's wins a, that discussion? I think that's the, a hard one to have. Oh no, I mean, I think I think empirical facts win that one. You would think, yeah, but. I'm, People will argue with you till they're blue in the face. Yeah, but I, I don't know what that I, I don't know what that means. You know, you you can make an argument about anything. We can we can talk about, you know, what's better, vanilla or chocolate ice cream, and and you know what does that what does that amount to? So you registered back 
almost as a recognition that that's just more in line with your ideals. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's a crazy time to be in politics. Yeah. It's, it's a tough time. Um, the work that I do is such that, uh, that the more you're doing it, the less you're paying attention to some of the, the politics that go along. Uh, I work, uh, or 10, 11, 12 hour days or more getting closer to, to the election. Uh, a lot of people in my staff do. Um, by the time election day hits, we don't usually even care who's going to win. We're just wanting to make sure that the process is is smooth and that it's accurate and that it's it's good. That it's that it's a a, a trust filled ballot process. Um, so in, in a way, the the position makes you nonpartisan. You almost have to be. Yeah. No. It's there's no other way to do it. Uh, now, with the election fraud has been a big national story for a while now. Yeah. Was there any any of that surrounding our local elections? You know, um, no, not not really. We always get we always get people, so we always get get people calling, yelling, threatening. We get that. Um, it's been a little more lately, but not in a concerted effort like we've seen across the state or across the country. Not not in such a way that I've feared for my life, like some of my colleagues have. And they're just calling you up, threatening that if their candidate doesn't win, there's going to be an issue? No, it's couched. So it's it's put into a, a, a threatening you because you did a thing. You know, even if that thing isn't something you do in this state, even if that's a piece of equipment that isn't used by your office, uh, they uh, they usually have strong feelings about what they feel the truth is and uh and that you're that you're complicit in in the great harm that was caused to them in their version of the truth does it bother you when you hear people attack the system in that way or attack Uh, the belief in it because you work so closely and you do have this understanding of how the process actually works because you're seeing the behind the scenes stuff that most people aren't seeing there's a sense of sorrow so, like I said, there's there's two versions of that. There's the one that that's in good faith and people are concerned. That doesn't bother me at all. I enjoy that. Um, but it's the it's the bad faith. It's the closed minded. It's it's the fact that this is just now how it is, regardless of what what information we share, regardless of how transparent we are. Um, there are people out there that have been wound up with lies, um, and and they're just hurting. And and they're hurting in such a way that it's causing pretty significant harm to the process. Um, in this office, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, Green Party, American Independent Party, the person you want running this office, you want them to run it without any of that in their consideration, even if that person's a part of your party. Um, and the idea behind that is that we can't afford to have anybody doubt the process. We can't afford that to be the way that this goes. Um, the process works because uh, because the candidates feel like like the results are due to the will of the people. As soon as that stops being the case, um, yeah, I, I can't even imagine that. That transparency aspect seems to be a big portion of your campaign focus. Yeah. Is that because... It was lacking in the previous no. position, or you just think that it could be expanded on? I think it could be expanded on. Um, I've been a transparency nerd since college, so um, 
So back in community college, I, I, uh, I'm a non-traditional student. It means that I went to college when I was old. Um, and, uh, and so I worked and I had a full-time job and I showed up to, to college hungry because I hadn't had dinner yet. And uh, this is going to be a long story, but it'll get back to it. Trust me. Um, I'm sorry. Could you just pull that? You want that? Like you can scoot it out. Mike's in if you want. You just want it kind of right in front of your mouth. A little all right. Bit. Is that good? Yep. All right. And so, um, and so I was going to school. Uh, dining services weren't provided in the evening, even though they were required in the course catalog or, or contract with the university. And so I went and complained to a professor. The professor told me to do something about it. So I started showing up to, to school board meetings, trustee meetings is what they're called, the board of trustees. And uh, I complained to them about it. They didn't do it. Um, their meetings weren't noticed right. Uh, there were some Brown Act violations, which I didn't know what a Brown Act violation was at the time. Um, and um, I got involved. And, uh, and the more I got involved with that public process, the more I saw the value of the, the mechanisms for the public to engage with its governance. Um, and I got, I got us lunch services, you know, pre-made sandwiches in the evenings, but it was something. And, uh, and that kind of just started a path forward. And in, when I was at HSU, now Cal Poly Humboldt, um, me and a, a fellow student, uh, worked on a piece of legislation to update that transparency law and get that going because that was such a valuable tool for us to, to interact with government. And, uh, those, those values of transparency have kind of been instilled in me at this point they're they're a big part of how i see the world and how i see government functioning well um a lot of the harm that's been caused with misinformation has been caused because there's been a gap there you know we we haven't communicated as well we haven't we haven't seen outreach as a meaningful component of the work that we do uh we're we're worried about security we're worried about process we're worried about transparency in the sense that that we're open to having you come but we haven't gone to where you're at as much. We haven't met you where you're at. I think, um, I, I believe in this concept of inoculating people with the truth. You know, it, it's harder to believe bullshit when, when you know what's going on and you have a relationship with the people doing what's happening. When, uh, when you yourself have done that work, um, you're less likely to believe things that are blatantly untrue. And so what does that outreach look like for your office? I think it's 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 across the board. It's uh it's stuff I've already uh, engaged in uh, since I've been with the office. Um, things like uh, our equipment testing. We do a thing called a logic and accuracy test in our office. Uh, it's it's coming up on October third for this upcoming election, where we we test all of the equipment with a predetermined set of ballots to to show that they're reading the ballots accurately and producing the results that are expected, so that there's nothing. Nothing going on with the equipment that's nefarious, that the programming is good, that everything works well. It's a, it's a test of the system. Um, we used to do that and uh, maybe have a person or two show up. Uh, and um, one of the big things that I did was uh, I got Access Humboldt involved and put it on uh, public access television so that uh, whether you wanted to, to come to our office in the morning or just watch from home, you could do that. Or if you wanted to watch it later because you were working, you could see it on YouTube. It's, it's bridging some of those divides where we, we look at transparency, not just in having a seat at the table for you, but in how we can get you to that seat most efficiently. And I think that's a key in outreach that, that hasn't necessarily been met. Well, and transparency just as a whole is, 
always a good thing. Yeah, you never absolutely. you can never be too transparent, especially when it involves the government. Oh, for sure. But, I mean, there's there's some places, you know, you know, uh, personnel issues. You want to you want to be cautious of of uh, your workers' rights and making sure that that's all well. But in terms of process, no, everything should be transparent. Uh, I'm I'm a huge advocate of that. And with Access Humble, that's perfect. You you're on the board there as yeah, well, right? Yeah, I, you did your homework. Yeah, I had a uh, Matt Knight on, oh. Eric Kirk. Those guys are great. Yeah, I they think, are. I think that whole program they're doing over there is fantastic. Absolutely, that's yeah. a that's a great community resource that I don't think enough people know about or take advantage of. You know, one of the things I talk about as an Access Humble board member when I talk to the public who rarely knows what Access Humble is unless they're already connected, but uh, I talk about. The, uh, the podcast kit we have at Access Humble, we have a little kit that you can check out that'll let you, you know, get started with a podcast. It's got a mic. It's got a little iPad. It's, it's got everything you kind of need in order to start a fledgling podcast. And so um, a lot of the work that it does is in, in bridging those gaps and getting people to the, to the table. You know, the, the internet and podcasting and YouTube have, have had a lot of seats at the table but there's still that that barrier sometimes with equipment or knowing how to. Matt Matt runs some amazing classes over there in production, so yeah, it's it's cool work. Yeah, I would have taken advantage of that had I known about you guys. Mm-hmm. You know, when I started this podcast, the resources are there. It's just the almost like we were talking about with your campaign, just getting the information out to the people. Saying, hey, this is here. We're branding this. This is what you have access to. Here it is. You just have to shine the light on it. Oh, for sure. And, you know, it's resource intensive. Doing outreach takes time. I mean, I, I'm seeing that with this campaign, you know, being out at Friday Night Market every Friday. It's, it's just time consuming. When you're running an organization, that's staff time and there's a cost to it. But it's, it's about factoring that into the way that you do business so that you can, you can hit that mission statement and, uh, and get to where you're going. That one-on-one connection when you are at those Friday Night Markets, is that, has that proven to be pretty useful for you in running the campaign it's if anything it's vitalizing um i walk away from those feeling feeling confident in what i'm doing uh and not just because i get praise you know i get both sides of it you know i get people coming in there and hammering me with questions about what they heard and what they expect and they think this about me or that about me um but it's just the engagement it's it's nice to go somewhere and talk to people that care about about this thing that I'm super nerdy about, this this whole election campaign thing, uh, public administration, that that engagement's it's huge. And so, when did the focus on elections start to rise? Was that your first introduction to politics? Getting those those sandwiches for the students? Uh, well, so I've been a poll worker since I was 17. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, so you um, you started out young. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm 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 the child of uh of immigrant parents. Um who gained their citizenship, and that, that was moment, like just monumental in, in the, the quality of our lives. Um, uh, neither of them missed an election uh, after their citizenship. Um, they were both also union members. And, uh, and, and you were a union rep at one point. That's correct, yeah, I was a steward. Um, but, um, but part of that, part of being in a union, one of the, one of the strongest tools you have as a union is, is, is the collective, and, and what, what, what stronger form of that than voting? Now, as a union steward, that's kind of a double-edged sword nowadays in some regard, isn't it? Or at least from an outside perspective, you always hear people are either really supportive of a union or they think they're the worst thing on earth. (laughs) So 
you know, I've had, I've had, I've worked in several jobs. Some of them have had good unions. Some of them have had amazing unions. Uh, AFSCME, the union that represents uh, Humboldt County employees, is an incredible union. It's great. Uh, my work as a steward was essentially that as a go-between between the the people on our job site and uh, and the union's practices. In addition to that, I was also their advocate. So um, so when you call when you get called into the boss's office and you see an HR rep there, you know there's there's a power dynamic there. Having a union steward there offsets that power dynamic. It's somebody there that knows the rules and and makes sure that that your rights are being upheld and that you're you're getting the right kind of process going forward. Do you think that unions are misunderstood or underutilized in some way? Because it's been a big, that's been a fairly big topic recently. I think Amazon had a couple stores unionized, Starbucks as well. And there was another one. I can't think of the other big one. Maybe an Apple store tried. There's There's been a few. I feel like every week there's there's a new. They've been popping, they've been popping up. Yeah, I, I think Home Depot. I saw Home Depot somewhere like, oh, I looking to get that. unionized. Yeah, no, Um. I'm I'm a union guy. Like I said, uh, I grew up with union parents. I've I've been in unions. I'm I'm pretty pro union. I think uh, I think you know I'm on the management side now, and I'm still pro unions. I think I think having a really good relationship with with a union and with that collective bargaining process makes it so that you have employees that feel valued, that that have um, that don't have that power disparity at the bargaining table and, and are therefore able to advocate for their worth in such a way that um that they feel good about coming into their work. That uh that they're not uh they're not they're not being taken advantage of. Um one of the biggest problems we have in the county is recruitment. Um it's it's a huge problem. Uh our office uh has just barely reached full staffing. We went into the previous two elections with with partial staffing, which is devastating. I have I'm in an office of eight people, and so that's that's just maddening hours of of working in order to to make up for that work. You look at DHHS; they're they're facing similar issues. The sheriff's deputies they're also ridiculously yeah, it seems to be a problem across the county. Absolutely, and uh, and compensation is a big part of that. Um, having unions be a part of that conversation and making sure that they're entering into that with. Um, with an organized and and um, good faith effort from management, I think that's key in order for the work to be done and to be done at a very high professional caliber. Um, I think uh, everything I hear about unionizing, uh, you know, you're going to have your bad apples, but uh, that could very easily be said about the private sector without unions. And so as a union guy, in your perspective, where does the pushback stem from? Is it just a business perspective of we don't want to fork out any more money i mean i, th I think that's it right you know uh corporate profits are at a record high uh in a recession that's that's a weird economical place to be um and i could see how unions might make those corporations uneasy about maintaining that trajectory of record high profits and so where does the the public play into that because some people aren't fans of unions even if they're not in that sector, right? They have their own opinions on unions. I think is that just the misinformation or does that come from just, you know, those companies buying ad space saying, hey, this is what a union's going to do. And if you let them come in, you might lose your job and nobody wants that. Well, I know one group that doesn't want that, right? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think, I think we got a pie, right? 
and and where we're at right now is that is that there is there's such a tiny portion of that pie that's being given to workers and that's giving to to the working class people and uh when i say that that corporations have record high profits that means they have a record bigger portion of that pie i think it's easy for for those with that giant slice to say you know unions unions are bad they're going to cut into your already sliver of the pie when when i think historically it's pretty obvious that it goes the other way that that unions are are what what negotiate in order to give working class people a bigger bigger slice of that pie i think uh i think a lot of the media a lot of the pushback that that goes against unions is is those preserving that that giant record big slice of pie yeah especially when that pie like you said is growing and they're cutting workers that's it and yeah. profits are just through the roof absolutely like that we can't get a little bigger slice of that yeah. where's all that going to the mega, top. mega yachts <laughs> yeah right jeff bezos yeah going going to the moon I don't know. Yeah, it's a weird thing. From somebody that's, I've never been in a union. I don't really know. I'm not that educated on unions, but I have heard differing opinions of, oh, unions are great. More companies should have them. It's for the workers it's to support them. It's this voice that gets bigger the more people join. And then you have that alternate perspective of, no, unions cripple business. They cripple growth. They're not effective. It's just a way to get a little extra money from the workers. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it's uh, I think definitely a part of that stems from the information that people get and where that's coming from. And and again, you know, you're going to have some bad actors out there. You know, I don't. I Understandably, don't... we're talking about a lot of money in some cases with these businesses. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're, you know, a billion dollar company. You don't you, you don't want that etched away so you can pay your workers a livable wage. That's it. Right. I think, Andy, see if you could pull this up there. The train workers have you? Yeah, heard about that? they just had a big victory. Yeah. yeah, did they sign? Did they come to? You know, last I heard, they did. Don't don't hold me to that. I've been I've been kind of busy with the election, but but last I heard, last I saw on my on my phone as I scrolled by, it looked like they uh, they got the win. And it what's crazy with them is they weren't even asking for a lot. I believe time to go to the doctor. Like it, these guys right. are working seven days a week. Was yeah. my understanding. They had like a point system where you can get. Fired eventually if you went to the doctor. More you had to work through COVID even if you were sick. That's it. I mean, that's those are the situations that you look at and think, yeah, maybe somebody speaking up for the workers probably isn't that bad of a thing. Oh, for sure. Good fences make good neighbors. You know, a union is that good fence. It's uh, it's uh, you want to enter into that relationship with your employer where. Where you know you're both entering it into it in good faith uh, with the railroad, it it seems like like one entity and all of that wasn't wasn't acting in great faith. So you, it, it, I'm getting the impression that you've always been, I don't want to say an activist, but active in politics, active in representation. Was this just kind of a, the next natural step? I know you you said you kind of wanted your boss to run again. Yeah. <laughs> Are you just running out of a necessity, believing that I'm? I'm the next fit for that. Nobody can do this better than I can. So I'm going to, if he's not going to run, I'm going to bite the bullet and step in there. She. If so she, oh, if she's not going to run. Yeah, no, you're good. Um, yeah, if she's not going to run, yeah. Uh, I think, like I said, I was asked to do it. Um, I, I'm an introverted person, you know, 
At my I wouldn't core. have guessed. Yeah, we've been talking. At but... my core, I'm, I'm an introverted person, you know, uh, a bit of a couch potato. Um, in terms of how I like to spend my, my free time, um, this whole campaign thing, this whole being a, a public servant thing, because I prefer that term over politician, um, it's, it's a whole thing. Like, it's, it's not something I expected to have to do. Um, I, I like, I'm, a, I'm an election nerd. I'm a, I'm a policy wonk. I, I, like, I like figuring out organizations, solving problems, new problems, creative problems. And I like uh, taking a project and, and moving it along and making it better. Um, I, I never expected to have to run for office. Um, I enjoy, you know, being informed. I'm, I'm definitely, I definitely have pretty strong values that I, that I recognize and have spent time cultivating it. But um, yeah, I don't know if I don't know if I've I don't know if I would have seen myself running for office prior to when I announced for for this one. Is this a pretty public facing office for you? Because obviously the Board of Soups, they get a lot of attention. The Eureka City Council gets a lot of attention. Is your position a little more under wraps? Usually. Um, previously, uh, not anymore. You know, uh, elections are being being seen in a new light. Um, I think that there are there are bad actors out there that have seen an opportunity when it comes to this position. Um, you're seeing that across the state. Uh, Shasta just had a an attempted recall over their clerk recorder, uh, a Republican, great person. Um, I've had the the privilege of meeting them. Trust them fully. They are great at their job. Um, but there's there's a nefarious take on it. Um, there's a lot of power in this position. Um, the complexity, the difficulty, the impact, and the fact that you can't take back elections means that uh, that putting a bad actor into the seat can have just devastating consequences. And and you're seeing it across the the country. I thought you had that uh, the reporter from Colorado that that let people in and tampered with equipment and and all all that resulted from that. I had not heard about that. Yeah, that's about as much as I know off off the cuff. But yeah. And let people in and intentionally tampered with equipment or? I don't know if they'd call it tampering. I, I think they. Maybe see if you can find that one. Yeah, they they, they let uh, non-elections officials, non-authorized staff have access to equipment. That county had to replace all that equipment because it was no longer certified. It was no longer pure. Um, was this during an election? It was shortly after, I believe. So it didn't call into question the results because it happened after the fact. Well, I think that's I think that was the attempt was to call into question the results to to find the the issue with it. Um, but yeah, this idea of bad actors—they're in everything. How do you escape that? Um, I mean, they're not though, right? You know, there's well, there's a good people, public process. That's true. It's some people that are just bad actors that will take advantage of any opportunity that they have. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's I think it's just that 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 having good relationships that. You know, there's, there's no, your reputation matters, um, how you conduct yourself, how, how you engage in, in this work, it, it's key. And I think, I think it speaks for itself. That recall failed. The, the Colorado one? The Shasta one. The Shasta one. Yeah. What was the deal with the Shasta one? Why were they? It was election deniers looking to, looking to get rid of them. It is such a crazy time. Yeah. Have you ever noticed where you have been tied to elections in this way? Has it ever been? This called into question. I know there was the hanging chads thing. The Bush Bush and Kerry was also called into question. 
it's not been i mean this is this is unique in that that it's coming not just from it's it's a it's a broader issue so it's not just coming in from from a political party or two it's not coming from these radical organizations like it's it's permeating you know it's you, you have your your everyday person coming in with these strong beliefs that that you know I use Dominion software that that my pillow guy was talking about and and they know for a fact that you did it even though Humboldt County uses heart equipment and not Dominion equipment and and you can't engage with them because they think you're lying to them it's that i think it's that it's it's how it's permeated how it presents itself it's just entirely different yeah i was too young for the hanging chads debacle but that seemed like it was a bigger one and obviously for the presidential run but that didn't permeate down amongst the public in the same way as this well i mean i think part of it is that you end up having so the hanging chad thing was based on on a fact right now you end up with claims that that are baseless you know it's... so it was that validity aspect at least exactly. that one you you did have hanging chad so you could say where does that lead exactly and and it's something to be explored right you know if there are hanging chads let's do something about it you know let's solve the problem when you when you cause panic when you, when you seek out that misinformation or when you you produce that misinformation that that calls into question that which which doesn't exist you can't solve that right you, you can't you can't disprove a negative um you can't you can't address it really without having that conversation about what's true and what's not true do you anticipate us moving toward a time where voting access is is so wide that you could just vote from your phone or vote through a medium like the internet? That came up at our at our um, professional conference here a few months ago. Um, we don't like it. I don't like it. I think from a uh, security standpoint, you don't like it uh, from a couple of places. So I understand blockchain can do some some interesting things in addressing some of those securities. But I think there's there's the security, and then there's how easy it is for the general public to understand that security without investing much time. And I think a paper ballot is something that that's absolutely essential to the process. I think um, security and access are kind of a, a balancing act, right? You can't have too much of one thing without making the other thing pointless. If we make something so secure that nobody can access it, well, that's not really democracy. The alternative is true, too. If we make something so accessible that it has no security associated with it, then there's no validity to the process. I think uh, I think paper ballots are, are one of those deal breakers. I think that having something hard, concrete, that you can audit, that you can go back and rescan, that you can, you can make sure it was processed in the way that you intended to process that you see before you know, placing it in the ballot box that there's a chain of custody for, I think that's something that's just, that's easy to see and understand for anybody. And you don't see that or think that you would almost strike a better medium through the internet because you do have that security aspect, but you also have the ease of access and that everybody's got a phone nowadays. Well, not everybody has a phone nowadays. You know, Most people. Th there's still the digital divide. Um, and but that would alleviate, you know, you hear all the, the strife around poll taxes and polling stations being so far away or voting stations where it's hard and then you'd have to go wait in line for three, four, five hours. 
that seems like that would be a great way to alleviate some of that. It could be. I mean, I, I don't know about your parents, but but my mom struggles a little with her phone sometimes. Um, and so I think there's other barriers there that, that you're going to end up facing. Um, another solution to that same problem that everybody also has access to is the, the post office, the mail. You know, uh, USPS delivers to every household in, in the country, uh, and they'll pick up your mail too. Having, having vote-by-mail function in that way solves that same issue. Yeah, I'm a big vote by mail advocate that's what i do because yeah. it beats going and waiting in line who has time yeah. yeah who wants to just go wait in line for fun when you Absolutely. can do it at your house you know and i get some people see that as like an integral part of the experience there's a tradition there you're going to a spot yeah. with the intention of voting and then maybe you need help you know maybe um maybe there's accessibility issues with the vote by mail ballot you know that you can't address internally or at home um i'm an advocate of both I like the hybrid approach. I, I like giving people the option. It's just interesting in that we are so technologically advanced and yet we're still doing elections by hand. We're still counting ballots. We're still keeping the paper. It just seems it's interesting that that's one of the few things we haven't really modernized quite well, as much as we could to the extent that we could. We've modernized it a bunch. Um if you ever have time, I'd love to give you a tour of our facilities. Yeah, I would love that. But we have some pretty cool technology that helps us um, in the processes that aren't sensitive in terms of auditing. Um, so we have a ballot scanner. So you don't necessarily have a person checking each box and tallying it in order to count it. That would take months to do if we had to do it that way or a big warehouse of people doing it. And so we have ballot scanners that are calibrated and, you know, we test them as a part of that logic and accuracy test. So we're able to process a lot of ballots at a time pretty neat um it gets adjudicated too through that system the other thing we have is um a pretty cool sorting machine for envelopes that sorts them and uh opens them so it'll sort them uh check the signature on each envelope at a cursory level with really tight thresholds if it doesn't meet that then a person will see it there's a bunch of ways in which in which technology has been brought to bear in a thoughtful manner that doesn't that doesn't you know, move the pendulum, you know, too far in one direction or the other. And yet we bank online. That's what I always fall back on. Because there's that, there is that security aspect of, do we want to vote online? Would it be easier to manipulate? Would it be easier to do something nefarious if all of the information is passed through the internet? You could undo a bank transaction, right? Like if, if, if you, if the bank makes a mistake and gives you an extra you know, 10 grand or three grand or whatnot, or if, if there's there's any issues with that, you're talking about a ledger that could get adjusted. Um, after an election certified, there's it's a very difficult thing to take that back. Uh, there's And there's the consequences a, of taking that back. Absolutely. Yeah. You are right in the sense that it, you've got one shot. It's, it's a one and done situation. Yeah. And there's a lot riding on it, right? Understandably, I mean, especially yeah. if you're talking about a, a major election like the presidency. To get that wrong would would be, I mean, the backlash to that would be insane. Catastrophic. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, so yeah, I see the, I see the value in bringing technology to bear. But I, there's a limit. Well, you just have to look at it in terms of, of what the cost is, right? You have to see the bigger picture and make sure that the technology is deployed um, intentionally, you know? And that that you're taking in all the considerations. Uh, there's definitely best practices out there, and it's always great to see what what the the rest of the country is doing. 
but to always come back and seeing what's important to us and how how are we are we losing anything out security wise are we losing anything out in terms of access and there's that that transparency component of it um I don't know about you, but most of the people I talk to about blockchain don't know what blockchain is. I don't even know. Not I don't true. really understand it. I've come right. across it a lot in my conversations on here, but my understanding, if you asked me to explain blockchain, I would, I would struggle. Right. And so, but paper ballots, right? You don't need to do any research on that, generally speaking. And if you know... It'd be a little awkward if you needed to. Right. But, but I guess that's my point, though. It's that it's you don't simplistic. have to, and you don't have to, and I'm not saying this is a, as a capacity thing. Like, I'm not saying you're not able to understand blockchain. It's the idea that you don't have to expend effort in a life that's already full of, you know, a 40, 50 hour workday with kids and all that to understand that your balance secure. You know it, you see it, you, you're familiar with it. There's that faith in the process with that paper ballot. Uh, that's a lot to trade for a level of access that I don't, I don't, I don't know quite well if it, if it would really mean more access. Yeah. If it would mean more access, the access thing is, that's just the issue that I'm still working through in some ways. Cause we have come back to the idea that you have those vote by mail ballots and those for whatever reason have been called into question to the point where it seems like some people don't want to utilize that. So there's that hybrid approach, right? And if you yeah, don't, you if can you don't, go in person. You can just bring it by in person, yeah. And yeah. so that I feel like that addresses it to a, to a point, right? Because you have the balance. You can go in person. Yeah, you yeah. are going to wait in line if there is a long line, oh. or do it by mail. Yeah, or you can, you know, you could bring it with you. Do you think that the laws around the vote by mail aspect should be expanded on? Oh, what do you mean? Well, in some states. Aren't there limitations? Hasn't that been a big thing predominantly, I guess, in the red states where there are more stringent limitations on who can vote by mail and the time frame surrounding that? I mean, if it's a secure process, it should be a secure process for everybody, right? If you can guarantee that a vote by mail ballot is is the person's and, and, you know, you have a solid process for somebody that's sick, I don't see why you would limit that uh, away from somebody that, that can't get off work, you know, or that that has, you know, a loved one that's sick and they can't get away from. You know, I don't it's hard for me to imagine a a situation in which you have vote by mail for some but not for all. Yeah, how would you define that limitation? Why, yeah. Where would you draw the line and for what purpose? Exactly. And you know, and I've I've heard the argument that well, you know, more is harder. Yeah, but you but it's just that's a that's a that's a scale issue. It's not a a security issue. You just need to make sure that your processes can scale. Did you find that Colorado information there, Andy? Do you want to pull that up on the screen? I was interested in that because I had not heard about that situation. And it is, you you are unique in the sense that this position seems like it's hit the spotlight because of all the election stuff. Whereas before, you probably could have just fit into it and maintained whatever level of introversion you wanted. Still public facing, but not you're not in the spotlight in the same way as you might be now yeah that kind of sucks as if politics and running a campaign wasn't already public facing you know, enough and and i'm i'm in favor of the i don't like the reason for the spotlight but, but I you're think, okay with the spotlight oh, i think it's so appropriate i think this is such a critical part of of what it means to be an american the democratic process and this is this is where it happens that having people be aware of what's going on and 
and holding those accountable that are in these positions, I think that's something that should have always been done. You know, having that relationship is is key to having faith in the process, to to believing in it, to participating in it. It's it's how we take ownership. Accountability. You don't, I mean, you're preaching to the choir with that. I'm yeah. a huge accountability guy. For sure. I think the more we have of that, especially with our politicians, is it benefits all of us. Absolutely. It when, benefits them. You, If you don't hold people to the standard of their office, the office diminishes. And then we just run into a shit show. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with that more. What do we? What, what do you have highlighted here? Oh, there she is. Peters, who's the county clerk and recorder in Mesa County in western Colorado, faces 10 counts, including seven felony charges and three misdemeanors. The felony charges include attempting to influence a public servant, identity theft, criminal impersonation, and conspiracy to commit criminal impersonation. Wow. The misdemeanors include first-degree official misconduct, violation of duty, and failure to comply with the requirements of the Secretary of State. Can you find what she did? It's in that, not that paragraph, but the one right below that. The pair is... The pair is accused of helping an unauthorized person make copies of sensitive voting machine hard drives and attend an annual software update. Information from the machines and secure passwords were later shared with election conspiracy theorists online. Shortly after the data was leaked, Peters appeared at an event put on by MyPillow CEO Mike Lindell. We're tying back to Mike. Yeah. One of the leading promoters of the conspiracy theory that the 2020 election was rigged. Wow, so she definitely crossed, crossed some lines there. Oh, for sure. And see, that is unfortunate because that provides legitimacy now to fears because people can point to that and say, well, look, this person did that. So now I'm going to use this to justify my skepticism of everybody in that position. Yeah. No, the office has legitimacy. And that's why it's so critical to have somebody that's accountable, that, that's, that's got integrity and in, in the right values in the position because, yeah, that, that legitimacy can be, can be lended, can be can. Be, can be abused. Out. Yeah. As as case in point, right here. What what do you have here, Andy? The maker of the equipment, Dominion Voting Systems, has been the focus of false conspiracy theories claiming to help steal. Yeah, the Dominion voting machines. Well, it's a hard process because first off, how many people actually take the time to read about the candidates, let alone understand how the process functions from the point where you do cast your vote? Yeah. No, I don't I don't know, but I can't but imagine that's, it's that's a big a, portion of the public. That's a League of Women Voters question, absolutely. But uh, I mean, that's it's interesting in that that we've we had kind of two options to go about it. We went the uh, the government is in charge of of that part of it, right? In in some countries in Europe, you know, there's no campaign finance involved in elections. The government, you know, gives each candidate so much money in order to to get the word out on them. And then here, through Citizens United, we made how aware people are of their candidates be uh, who can raise the most funds question. Has that been enlightening now that you're running your own campaign? Oh, absolutely. We, uh, we're definitely like uh, my, my campaign managers, my uh, fiance, my, uh, my website person's my best friend, my uh, treasurer is a, is a dear friend from college. Like we're, uh, we're a scrappy little campaign. And, uh, and it's, it's amazing how much money can buy you when you don't have it. <laughs> and so running into that has, has been just eye-opening in terms of how difficult it is to raise funds and how, how it's not about money. Because like, when you say funds, when I, when I say I'm raising funds, in my mind, I'm raising 
um, the ability to make people aware. You know, every every dollar is a voter reached, and so campaign finance has kind of made it made it a really interesting interesting change where uh, where money means money means information. Do you think nowadays that money is definitive of whether or not your campaign succeeds? Not at all. Do you yeah. think you could still get by as the underdog if you don't have all of the funds there? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think you saw that in, in the primary. Um, yeah, uh, my opponent definitely outspent me. Uh, they got a couple more votes than I did, but it was, uh, it was a three-way race, so that wasn't, that wasn't enough. Neither of us won. Um, and I think you saw it in other races. I saw that you had uh, Natalie Arroyo on your show. Uh, she did pretty good uh, with, uh, with a pretty big uh, campaign finance disparity. Uh, same thing with uh, Steve Madrone and Larry Doss. You saw big, big campaign finance distinctions and uh, uh, lopsided vote. Yeah, it, it, the money helps in that you can draw eyes, which is it's definitely a factor. But you have to have the substance, That's I think, right. to drive it home in the end. Yeah. Unless you're just running against somebody who's incompetent or, or doesn't have their campaign structure in a very well organized manner then money just you can blow them out of the water but if you have a character who who is running on something of value i think you can you can buck the system a little bit oh absolutely i mean i think that's that's at the at the core of it um which is it's a positive aspect that that instills a little more faith in the system that the little guy can make it if you have some you know someone with heavy pockets running and someone who really cares and wants to make an impact, that person can still do it. The system's not bought and paid for when it starts. Yeah, not necessarily. I mean, that's an that's an uphill battle you're facing though as the little guy. Um, yeah, it's not great. Yeah, no, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if that gives me more faith in the system. Um, I mean, I have faith in the system, obviously, but um, in terms of campaign finance, um, I think that yeah, th- that seems like the good thing happens despite it. You know? Do you think we should limit campaign finances in some way? I mean, we do. I think we could do a better job of it. Um, I think we could do a better job of reporting on it. Um, I think um, so. We have really good campaign finance laws in California in terms of how you need to be transparent. Uh, I don't know if they have if they have big enough teeth uh, in terms of holding campaigns and donors accountable. Um, I think your podcast and uh, the news and and these these mediums that people have of of getting information, I think that's that's the key piece in all of that. I think um, I think the money the money can be can be tamed with really good reporting on where the money's coming from. You know. Yeah, I mean, my biggest gripe with elections in general is just the format. Even taking away the money, the money's a big aspect, right. and I think that should be addressed. But the format, when you have these debates and you get a minute to hear your question and formulate an answer. That just seems ridiculous to me. With the technology that we have nowadays where you could have a candidate in some long format where they are answering questions and taking in questions and given reasonable enough time to actually formulate a well-thought-out opinion on a subject. But it's just, oh, here's your question. We're moving to the next candidate. Here's your question. Maybe you get a chance to rebut what the other person said, but we're moving on. So, um... Yeah, I agree 100%. The questions is another part of it. Um, you don't get really hard questions, I found. I was really surprised when I was doing these forums at the kinds of questions we'd get. Um, they didn't, the, 
no follow-up questions usually you kind of it's almost an opportunity to give your your bylines you know your your little your little nuggets hit of, your campaign points yeah this exactly is what i'm here for yeah i was expecting a debate you know back and forth uh, let's get into the the meat of what makes us different uh there was a i did a hot air interview that let us go back and forth a bit and that was probably my favorite of the interviews uh that i did was uh, having having both candidates there having a, a moderator uh, ask questions and you know have follow-up questions and then bounce things back and forth i think that's where you really get to really get to know the two candidates is is when you have that format in a longer format is is great for that the longer format i believe is key yeah it's just too short and for what purpose sometimes it's way too short too like you're given this this question that that has like really four questions as a part of it and then you're given just enough time to maybe introduce the basic foundation of what you know, you'd build a question on top of it's. It's so difficult to, to 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 deal with some of these questions where you almost have to keep it at a superficial level. Otherwise, you're just going to lose everybody. Yeah, it's it's just a downside that it doesn't need to be there anymore. People have the attention span, and especially for a position where it's an elected position, you would think that people would want to get as much information from their candidate as they could. Have um. So I've noticed that you tend to do like one person at a time. Have you thought about having multiple candidates? I I have thought about it. I have thought about it. I don't know if I would be the person for that. I would do it if a, if two candidates wanted to come on. Nice. The problem is if there's more than two, then, yeah. you know, when you get into three and four in a studio like this. Oh, that's something else. Yeah, you'd really have to maintain some some stability because people want to talk over each other people want to try to get their word in first or their idea out first you got to have a mute button i know we're gonna have to work on that any <laughs> i would do that i think that would be or somebody should at least do that i think that would be beneficial just to like you said like that humbled hot air show to provide that ability for a long format real debate where people are fielding questions and have the time to come to whatever conclusion they draw Oh, and you need a moderator that did their homework. And that isn't afraid to push when yeah. it's necessary. Yeah, that's what I want. That's what I want, like, at the national level. That's, uh, that was, yeah, I, I watched most of the debates. I think I was disappointed with all of them because I wasn't getting that. I was just, I was getting very, very small versions of the commercials I had already been fed. And so having something like you described would be incredible. If, uh, if it's a matter of space... Access Humboldt has great facilities. Uh, I'm sure we can we can work something out and getting you paired up with Matt to to make something like that happen would be incredible. Um, one of the things that I love the most about interacting with with the media with uh, with podcasts like yourself um, is that the thing that gets people to vote the most is uh, getting them informed. You know, you, it's hard to want to vote when it feels like. Like it's an arbitrary thing you're doing when you're just ticking off boxes without really knowing who you're voting for, just a name and and a title underneath their name. And most of them are ranchers for some reason, you know, ranchers and lawyers. It's always like rancher slash lawyer. But um, but things like this, uh, I'll always say yes to an interview. I'll always say yes to, to coming on a show because it, it's what gets people engaged. It, it gives people the ability to feel like they're making a, an informed decision. And I think that's that's huge. Any amount of attention we could bring to that is is what's going to get people to vote more often. 
And with misinformation, I'm a big proponent that the best way and really the only way to effectively combat that is to provide better information. When you start silencing people and criticizing them and trying to shame them into some other form of belief, you just reinforce their ideas. And I don't know if we've just lost that concept as a country, but nobody wants to have a real debate anymore. They, they have what they believe to be the truth, one side or the other. And your approach to the person coming from the other side is to just diminish that and say, no, but you're wrong. So here's, here's what's true. This is it. You're wrong. And then that person runs off and now they're reinforced in their belief thinking that person was an asshole. They don't know what they're talking about. I'm right. This is what I believe. So um, why do you think that is? I think social media is is a big is a big factor in that. I don't know if I'm just jaded towards social media in general, so I instantly come to that conclusion. But I think in in today's time, you have people who come to the table with their mind already made up. We're not having discussions as a means of challenging ideas or testing your preconceptions. It's reinforcement. I'm going to come to this conversation, and if you if you prove that I'm wrong, you did it. You just made me think, well, I'm just I'm over this conversation and now I'm going to move on to the next one. There's no there's no accumulation of ideas of hearing your points and thinking, oh, OK, well, that disproves what I was thinking. So now I'm going to I'm going to take this one in because that was a better idea. And then you come to the next one and it's challenged and you're either reinforced because the person came to the table with a bad idea or you adopt that one because it's a better idea. People don't do that. And I think when you're on social media, it's just outrage. And so that's what that's what's perpetrated throughout the ecosystem. And that reinforces people in whatever belief they're backing against it. It's um it's winning and losing, right? Uh when when people think of debates, that they, they want to know who won. And they want to know if they were they were slaughtered or if they were if they were smashed if they were just if they got owned. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a video game approach to debating, and um, and that's it, right? You either get better at winning, but it's not about learning. Um, it's not about the substance. Yeah. So um, I studied philosophy in college. I have a bachelor's degree in philosophy. Um, what that means is that I'm often really good at arguing. Um, not because of anything inherent to me. It's just what we do a lot in philosophy is we 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 take an idea, figure out how it works, and then and then fight it uh, with some other idea. And you do that a bunch. You get some techniques and whatnot. Um, with uh, with a lot of my friends, I refuse to have any kind of like meaningful debate because it can get it get mean because they they have that idea of winning and losing. When I go into a debate, I'm I'm hoping I'm wrong. You know, if I'm wrong, I get I get something out of it. If you're right, you don't you don't walk away any smarter, you know. You you walk away with the same amount of information as as you came in with, but if you're wrong, you get to you get to learn something. That's the approach you would hope most people have, right? But yeah. and I don't know if it's always been this way. I don't know if it's human nature, but people get tied to their ideas. Identity. And it's identity. It's who I am. And yeah. so if my idea is wrong, if you prove that idea to be faulty, you're pointing out some character flaw in myself and I can't have that. And that's that tend towards aggression or, you know, becoming resolute in your stance. 
because you feel like your character is being attacked. It's not your idea versus my idea. It's you versus me. Do you think that that is a is a more recent evolution of of debate? Is that it's that character attach or not character attachment, but you're attacking the character of the person? I think that's more entertaining. I mean, I think that's uh, you know that's that's more likely to get the clicks. Like, that's think. a big factor. That clickbait of if I can if I can get you riled up, if I can yeah. attack you and get you really going. We're gonna get some clicks. Yeah, absolutely. And and who wants to who wants to watch the video of of Nick and Juan had a had a moderate debate about blah blah blah. They wanna they wanna know that you know Nick owned Juan or Nick uh, debunked Juan or they want that like they want they want a professional wrestling like approach to debate where there's there's these really big highs and really low lows and. And it's a very different thing than uh, than real wrestling, which uh, which can be slower. It could be you know more you know complicated. Do you think you have that perspective of going into it in that way because you come from that philosophy background? I think so. Yeah, definitely. Philosophy is one of those things that I that I get grief about. You know, I just study philosophy. You know, good luck getting a job. Uh, philosophy gives you a couple of really really core skills. It, it lets you take a really complicated thing and understand it because um, you do that, you know, when you're reading some German philosopher from the 1700s and, and you have to write about them in a, in an essay, you develop that ability to, to figure out ideas and understand how they tick. Um, and then you, you end up learning how to, how to convey that in a way that's understandable and critical. I wonder if we can ever move the needle more towards that more in that direction we just need more philosophy (laughs) uh i've always been a big advocate for having having that be included in a in a k-12 education i think uh, i would have benefited from it uh, to have some courses like that and i don't i don't necessarily even want them to be called critical thinking uh that's inherent to to any kind of learning that you that you ought to be doing but uh some of those skill sets like seeing arguments that that whole framework of seeing arguments not as competitions but as uh, as sussing out ideas to figure out you know what needs to change um and and the lack of ego that needs to be involved in order to do it there's almost like a martial arts take on it right you know um yeah you have to go in there and, and realize that it's not it's not you it's all about the technique it's it's about it's about creating something broader and winning that one instance doesn't make you better even sitting here and us saying that, it's hard to practice that. I I get caught up in that, even even recognizing what you're saying and trying to implement that in my own life. I still get tripped up where I'll have a conversation and somebody will say something or you'll interpret it in some way and then it becomes personal and then the ego gets involved and then it's no longer a debate of ideas. It's a debate of character, debate of who who's the better person, who has morality more on their side. Oh, that's tough. and it just you just lose all productivity in that conversation. It goes from us trying to better each other or trying to learn something from each other to now I'm just gonna shit on you just because I can. There's a there's a guy named Epictetus, old old Greek person. Uh, he's uh, one of the original Stoic philosophers. He's he's my go to person when it comes to to figuring out how to how to do. The, the thinking better in terms of perspective, in terms of 
oh, this person's really getting to me or, you know, I had this interaction and, and I walked away feeling less of it, less because of it, um, because of how I, how I reacted. Um, so much of it's a matter of like realizing what's in our control and what's out of our control. So much of it is, is seeing what's, what's out there and what's inside. Um, like in those situations where, where you get questioned, where, where you get poked in such a way that you got to be defensive, like what's going on there, you know? Who, who are you defending, really? Yeah, and like you said, if your idea is wrong, it's a moment to now adopt a new idea. Would you rather stick with the wrong one and carry that through life, through all these encounters where you're going to be proven to be wrong, or be able to adapt and implement a new idea? And you're already there. Like, everything that you are right now are new ideas that replace old bad ideas. Right. You know, as kids, we don't we don't we're not born knowing everything. We're born being wrong a lot. And so you're already inhabiting this identity that that was built on being OK with being wrong. I'm reading and I cannot remember the author, Andy. I'm going to need you to pull this up. It's called Meditations. Oh, Marcus Aurelius. Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. yeah thank you. I could not think of his name. I was yeah. sitting over here struggling for a moment. And I have found I'm only maybe halfway through it right now. But that is an incredible book. And the perspective of reading something from so long ago and it still resonate today is is incredible. I'm going to connect you with Epictetus. So Marcus Aurelius's meditations was like a journal. It was like there's this guy, really cool emperor uh, guy, and he uh, he learned about stoicism and then he practiced it and journaled about it. Yeah, it's his internal thoughts. Yeah. And so Epictetus has this book called The Handbook, which is, is just that. Like, that's the, that's the guide that Marcus Aurelius used to get to where he was at and write meditations. I think I find it to be a more accessible type of stoicism. Um, I think he's just a better writer, too. I mean, it's a journal. You can't. You yeah, can't I don't think him. Marcus was planning on anybody actually yeah. finding this <laughs> and reading it. <laughs> yeah. The handbook. I'll have to read that. Yeah, I'll I'll send it. I'll send it over to you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always, I'm I'm fascinated in just like stoicism. For example, I took a philosophy class in college, and so I I just touched the surface of all of those ideas and of understanding how to process information in that way. Yeah. And I think you're right that if you could get access to that in high school, even it would be so beneficial. Yeah. Just the idea that ideas are their own thing you don't have to attach yourself to them mm -hmm. and just because you don't ascribe ascribe a certain idea to be beneficial in that moment in your life doesn't mean that it's necessarily a bad idea yeah. you can take stoicism take elements from it and practice those doesn't mean you have to adopt stoicism as a whole for oh, these for sure. various philosophical standpoints you know they're tools you know and that's how we should view it yeah. as a tool. The yeah. idea is a tool. No, absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. There's a, there's a piece there, too, about being, right? We, we like to think of ourselves as being done, you know? And so when we're tested, we're tested as if we're the final product. And, uh, and letting go of that and seeing, uh, seeing ourselves as like a thing in process, a thing to be bettered, you know? Uh, being the best, you know, no, nobody really should want to be the best. They want to be striving to be the best you know you, you want to be in that framework not not in feeling like you've arrived and anything that attacks you is wrong because you've already gotten there 
if there's a takeaway from this podcast, it should be that. The idea that you're not a finished product and life isn't about getting to that finished product. It's just about progressing and becoming a better version of yourself every day. That's where I'm I'm 24 and I watch an insane amount of motivational videos. And that that idea of the constant progression, almost like the drum through life, has just resonated with me. The idea that you're always trying to improve yourself. And I don't know if most people just attribute that idea of being done and to themselves. And so they think I don't need to work on myself anymore. I don't know if that is just a human nature thing where you think who I am in this moment is who I am. And that's my whole identity. And that's all that I'm going to be. That that is one of my fears is just not progressing. The idea of staying stagnant in a belief, staying stagnant in a way of life, in a culture, I guess you could say, to some extent, just not progressing in a way that is meaningful for me. I think um I think that different view, that that view of looking at process rather than seeing it as a done thing, I think that 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 gets you there, right? If if you're if you're not trying to arrive, if you're just focused on on journeying, then you never have to worry about stopping cuz cuz the thing you're doing is inherently movement. Yes. I mean, it's cliché, but that's the reality is life is a journey. Don't focus on the destination, focus on the ride there. Because we're all going to end up in the ground. That's right. that's the only end point. So if you're focused on the end point, it's going to be... Well, Elon a has a lot ride. of money. <laughs> so he, he, he might get out of that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe. Starts putting those neural links in people's heads. Maybe maybe right. there isn't going to be an end point. <laughs> I watch Futurama. I see how that goes. Yeah. I, it's a weird world. It is a weird time to be alive. Yeah. But going back to the way we started the podcast, um, being okay with being wrong, you know? It goes into public service, like uh, public administration is such where we need to see ourselves in that way, and we can't we can't focus on feeling like like we've arrived, like like this is the finished product. Like you can't, I can't let you in to see what I'm doing because you're going to criticize it, and then then it's all broken. No, we have to we have to see it as this ever evolving thing. We have to take the ego out of it. We have to try our hardest to be better. And to to do things impeccably, but but that's what we're trying to do: the trying, the the process. Um, and we need to we need to allow others to to get in there and and make sure that we we're on that right track without feeling like we're being attacked personally. And the ability to innovate, which also seems like that is a core in your campaign: the idea that it's it's not this finished product. We can improve. We're going to continue to make these steps. I think I read on your campaign page, the idea of being preemptive with all those laws, because those do trickle down. And so rather than waiting for the ball to drop, we can kind of get ahead of it a little bit. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's it. We need to be ready for what's happening. Uh, We need to do needs assessments. What do people want? Um, Realtors seem fairly unhappy with the customer service on the click recorder side. That's the thing I constantly hear about. Um, Customer service, you know, things taking too long to process, uh, things getting bounced back and forth. But figuring out how the public service is just that it's serving the public and the public can have changing needs we need to constantly be in communication with the public so that we know when those needs shift so that we can adapt to them so even even if we've got it right for now that doesn't mean we've got it right for tomorrow i think that's a great perspective to have going into office 
let's hope that's the yeah right yeah um one this was great we can we can end it here we did an hour and a half um do you want to plug where people can find you where they can find your campaign yeah so uh vote for juan pablo dot com is the website uh ballots go out october 10th uh voting happens november 8th um vote early uh it makes my job a lot easier uh whether you're wanting to put it in the mail or drop it off in our office um yeah voting early gets gets you uh gets you posted on those election night results that come out first okay well Juan, thank you thanks for taking the time to come on and do this i really appreciated talking with you yeah i appreciate you having me this is a great forum like i said uh the more information that people have on candidates, the more informed a decision they're going to make, the more likely they are to get out and vote, which is which is what it's all about. Yeah, that's the ultimate goal. Yeah. Just exercise your your civic right to be able to vote. Yeah, and take ownership. Yeah. We'll, ha- we'll have to get you back on Talk Philosophy. I'll read that. Anytime. Yeah, that handbook. I think that'd be great. Awesome. All right, well, thanks, Juan. Take care.